Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. And by welcome back, I mean it. We've been gone for two weeks. Did you miss us? Well, we are back and we are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, very special guest, Monty Fritz. But first, for more information about the Stable of Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee, Washington, and Florida. While you're there, please subscribe. It is totally and always free to you. And welcome to our People in News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Representative Monty Fritz, Tennessee's District 32. Monty is a carpenter by trade who enjoys working on antique autos and motorcycles. Round County High School graduate, 1982, various leadership development courses in the U.S. Army, Bachelor of Science, Multiple Discipline, Business and Chemistry, Liberty University, Master of Business Administration, University of Tennessee, MA in Theological Studies, Liberty University, Certificate of Operation Excellence, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, well, MIT, 2016 to 17. Director of Operations, Nuclear Fuel Services in Irwin, Tennessee, responsible for operations in an approximately 1,000-employee facility. 2017-2020, accepted appointment as federal program manager with USDOENNSA under Trump administration, and then stood up Office of Production Integration as the acting director, around 250 to 600 million annual budget authority, contributed to president budgets, request, design, and set performance measurements with field held programmatic responsibility across the U.S. 2020, realtor in his family business, Covenant Broker Real Estate LLC in Kingston, supports his wife in the rural and veteran markets, life member, veterans of foreign wars, post-5150, Loudoun, American Legion, life member, post-50, Rockwood, life member, National Rifle Association, supporter, Life Choices Resources Center for Rowan County, Sponsor, member society of the 1st Infantry Division, co-founder, Liberty University Parents Lost Scholarship Fund. That is grandkids, hunting, shooting, and sports. He loves, he grew up respecting those men like Davy Crockett, Andrew Jackson, Sam Houston, and Alvin York. Men with Tennessee connections who define home of the brave. Men like great, great, great grandfather had fought for our freedom in the Revolutionary War. His did. Men like York had fought for freedom in 1917, had won the lottery. I was born a Tennessean, Christian, husband, father, and grandfather, and now guest of the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. Representative Fritz, did I do you justice, and how are you today, sir? More than I deserve. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for your service, and thank you for coming on with us today. It's a beautiful day, and we're indoors, but it's all right. We're going to get some good information out of you today. So you were the perfect man, I believe, to have as my guest after a vacation to go over what we just saw in the Tennessee legislature, both regular session and special session. Uh, but before we get into the special ed session, uh, what lessons did you learn in the last session, January through April, before the special session and how the members behaved and how leadership handled themselves? Um, I, th I think I learned a lot, lots of positive things. Uh, I had never really wanted to be into politics. Uh, I am enjoying what I'm doing now, uh, but it's, it's again, it's something I never intended. I had any desire to get into. Uh, so I had several positive um, encounters, if you will. Uh, lots of men and women who I really think in their heart want to do the right thing, want to 
honor the Constitution and the oath that they've taken and um, and just uh, provide a free and prosperous Tennessee. Uh, lots of those. Um, I had expected some of those that I encountered, primarily in the other party, quite candidly, uh, that had no regard for the state, for our Constitution, or for the country, our values that we I had grown up holding near and dear. Um, so I had some of that reaffirmed, but I think the most pleasant surprise was just how many uh, good men and women I met that want to do the right thing. That is very uh, positive. That is good. Uh, Rep. Johnny Shaw, a Democrat from West Tennessee, he said, I started my 23rd year this year, and I've never seen things as bad as what they are in the legislature as what they are right now, he said. He's from Memphis, which is the crime capital of America, so maybe his district needs his help more than the assembly in Nashville. Uh, but to your point, was it as bad as he, he says? Um, I, I don't know. You you previously had asked the question about leadership. I really think that the speaker did a good job in trying to mitigate and manage through what was uh, at times uh, petulant behaving or politicians behaving as petulant children. Um, and it was more than just what has become known as the those three, the Tennessee three that I voted to eject. I voted to uh, eject all three of those people. Um, but, but many others that are, I think, uh, simply trying to um, hog camera time, raise money. And, and I really think that there's an embedded, trained approach in some of these people. You see it across the nation that their modus operandi is simply to um, be loud, scream, uh, make so uncomfortable the average American that we will capitulate to their demands and inch that needle a little farther toward a socialist or Marxist type environment. I really think that's that's what they're trying to do. Uh, I saw that play out before my eyes. I give our speaker um, much credit for standing up against it, to be honest with you, because it, in today's America, it would have been much easier for Cameron to just kind of let these things go further out of control than to take a stand. And, and I think that courage is in short supply, often in politics today. So I commend him on that part of it. As far as the leadership for the Democrats, um, they are being puppeted completely by a half a dozen of their members and uh, have, have been rendered completely uh, ineffectual, uh, their elected leadership, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And too bad. Um, I would agree with Mr. Shaw, who seems to be a fine man, uh, that, that things seem disruptive, but that's when those people who have been in the assembly for their entire lives <laughs> ought to be standing up and coaching and counseling these young people um, that that's, they're not an activist. They've been elected to represent 70,000 people, act like an adult. You've taken an oath, keep that oath honor the constitution and the rules of the house and work hard rather than just show up and scream and cry like a six-year-old who doesn't get their way. And you see, we see that a lot. We saw that in special session again, put the work in, go work on the bills, go work the bills through the house, go convince other members of the Tennessee house that you have ideas that are worth merit, but they're not doing that. No, I like to call them the bullhorn party because they went down there with a the bullhorn and disrupted everything. You know, it got a little heated. Uh, you're being a very much a gentleman, and I appreciate that and respect it. But Republican House Speaker Cameron Sexton, who had to herd these cats, he said about Democratic Rep Justin Pearson, also from Memphis, which has its issues. 
look, you know, emotions get high, but what I do know is, look, don't come up and try to bump me. They got physical with him. They're not just petulant children. They are bullies and acting very badly for a genteel Southern uh, state's <laughs> assembly, right? Yeah, there's no genteel nor Southern in, in, in those young people. Um, I'll, I'll touch on something in the spring and come back to the, the event that you mentioned there in special session. Um, th there was just a, it, it broke my heart. We had a group of middle schoolers that were sitting in the balcony on the night the bullhorn come out. And, and these middle schoolers had come to see our Tennessee government uh, in action. And what they saw was a riotous environment where that people, many of which I'm certain were not from the great state of Tennessee, were trying to force themselves onto the floor, not only the ones with the bullhorn, but, but uh, non-members, and had become so aggressive in their behaviors in the balconies that these poor middle school children who had come to see their government work were scared and crying, and the troopers had to rescue them from the balcony. When you really think about the, the fact that many of those Democrats pushed for that to happen, they should be ashamed of themselves. History is not going to remember them kindly. And so then to your, to your remark on the special session, um, there was, it was a very aggressive assault type behavior that you saw. Those two young men uh, met Cameron as he it was coming down from his perch at, in the, in the disc and um, began just really invading his space. And so I was across the room when I saw that uh, Mr. Pearson had uh, really gotten physical with the speaker. And you could see that, that our speaker has, has security. Um, and you could see that they had to take a defensive posture, the security. Did. Because and one of these gentlemen actually has a history of assault. It's not as if it was a, uh, oh, sure. a idle threat, so to speak. So, so the, the, Mr. Jones then tried to continue that assault as Cameron tried to move out back to his office, I'm sure. And, uh, started down the aisle and he got behind, actually, uh, he got behind uh, Representative Sapicki. I got beside um, Scott to try to keep him from being, there was no pushing or anything. He didn't push us, but he was trying to get there to further this assault on the Speaker of the House in the state of Tennessee. I, 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 part of me says, where did they learn that behavior? Was it poor raising, as my grandmother would say, or was it that they have been trained by these international organizations to behave that way? Because I really think that there's there's a huge push. You see it in other states. It's not just in Tennessee. I'm glad you said that because I come from the once great state of Washington and a city councilwoman who's not running for re-election used her keys to open City Hall to let the Antifa mob into the rotunda, into the floor to make this mess. But the difference here was that it was not in session. It was great for the cameras. They left a lot of mess, just like in Wisconsin where they broke that. But in Tennessee, it was during a session and that's a different story. I suggest that they just expel them again and let Nashville and, and Memphis have to re-vote to approve them because it, there's got to be consequences. But I don't want to spend the whole time on that. It was a terrible situation and hopefully we never see it again. But aside from that, in the $100,000 a day that was spent on it, uh, what did you like out of the special se session? Anything? So uh, I, I have enjoyed, and this may seem a bit odd, but I enjoy standing in defense of our Constitution, our Tennessee values. So if I, I try not to speak all of the time because I, I am, while I'm an old guy, um, relatively anyways, 
I think that to try to speak all the time is a bad thing. It's one of the mistakes those uh, many of the Democrats are making. They think they have to speak on everything. And when you're 26 year old and you have no work experience whatsoever, or 28, you can't know something about all these topics. And and so I think they lose credibility with their peer group, with the fellow legislators, and they're poorly serving the people that have voted for them. I, I really think if your average person who's voting for these folks, and again, not just these two, but many of the Democrats, some of the older men were behaved just as, as much in a petulant style as those young men did. And so I, I think that there, there is a training taking place that has trained the persons like in Washington that you mentioned, in states all across the country, that if we just raise enough stink, if we scream loud enough, we will get uh, other folks to give up their oath and we will take rights away from people. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I, I am convinced. I think you're right. There is a concerted movement by <clears throat> people that behave like that, that have trained them in this rules for radicals behavior uh, to get us to just capitulate to their demands. And, and quite honestly, one of the reasons that I was not in favor of the special session, now the governor had complete constitutional authority to carry it, uh, to call it, but um, th there was a bit of a, a just kind of giving in to the demands of those Marxists, and we should not do that. Yeah. Give an inch. We certainly learned a lot about government in, in the pandemic years and, of course, during this. And I'm so glad you said rules for radicals because we've talked about that quite a bit here as the as the blueprint for a lot of this activism that we see, especially in the streets with Antifa and BLM and all the rest. And now we see it in the elected representatives that act like that. And it's a super minority state, so they could yell and scream all they want. But the good news is you guys are still the adults in the room and can and can avoid that and haven't fallen for those traps but my former state's communist governor and his new deal only green had emergency powers for a thousand days even when not a single county had a single case of covid just because he could how do you feel about lee's use of emergency powers and would you like to see rules in place to limit emergency powers for the next time which will inevitably come yeah i think those were greatly mishandled uh, by governor lee uh, respectfully, great, greatly mishandled during the pandemic. Um, so even if you give a bit of a pass, whether we should or shouldn't is a is another discussion. But if you give a little of a pass, a little bit of a pass for that, um, moving forward, uh, we should not have emergency powers. There is nothing in the Constitution that increases the authorities or the breadth nor the depth of the authorities of an executive branch, or in our case, executive department office holder because an emergency exists. Uh, that is something that was voted in Tennessee years ago. I'm certain never considering that it was going to be used the way that has been used, not only in Tennessee, but across the, the United States. And, 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 and you, can, you can discuss whether we were fractionally as bad as Michigan or, or anything like that. The fact remains, in my humble opinion, uh, that uh, the governor's authorities, nor the the legislator's authority changes during an emergency. The Constitution right. is the Constitution. Yeah, the founders didn't say life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, except in a pandemic or when we're scared. No, no as a matter of fact, after after those words of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, the words say, and to secure those rights, governments are instituted among men. Yeah. So it's actually the opposite of what we have done. 
because our first responsibility as those who have sworn an oath to the Constitution and taken on these offices and the bureaucratic functions, those that are in departments that work uh, for governors and, and for the president across the United States, um, their first responsibility is to secure your rights, not to limit them. And that means that they have to honor the restrictions on governmental authority. And, and, and there's a, our, our founders were so brilliant, I think. And I think that they were placed together at one time uh, by the Lord himself uh, to give us an opportunity to have this freest nation to ever exist on the face of the earth. Yeah. And, and that, you know, in God's <laughs> divine knowledge, he knows that, that opportunity and prosperity for all people is only going to occur where liberty persists. Amen. And we talk about negative rights all the time on this show. The hard part is explaining to people that a negative right is a good thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, just to finish that that quick thought, I, I would offer this. Um, I have a piece of legislation I didn't run this year. I pulled back to have some further discussions that I am going to run that starts to address that. So we, during this pandemic, we started to determine that people are either essential or non-essential based on what their occupation is. I think that is probably the most insulting and egregious thing we may have done since maybe even the Civil War. Because uh, those barbers, those bartenders, uh, those shop owners that we declared non-essential, in front of that constitution, they have the same right to make a living as you or I do. Yes. And we can't take that away from them. So I'm trying to address that part of it. Um, it's, it's going to be an uphill fight, but uh, I'm going to take that fight on. I started it my first year and, and got lots of pushback from from some groups and I said, okay, let's, let's see if we can refine this some and, and, and assuage some of your concerns about it. But the fact is you don't have to tell someone that they're less important than another person to be able to control an emergency. There's yeah. a whole different set of, of thoughts there. I think there are already plenty of laws about discrimination and it plays right into that. So yeah, you, you're onto something there. Um, now you are in real estate, your real job, I guess your day job. Um, I was fascinated this year watching the mayor fight in Cool Springs, Colorado. I know that's not here, but over there with a Benghazi survivor up against two real estate developers in the general and the two that made it into the primary against each other. So the city council had overcome, you know, scrambled to section off large parts of the land to prevent whichever candidate won from developing on nature they wanted to protect. So developer versus developer. What do you make of a phenomenon of developers, construction and real estate and working with congressmen and city halls across America to get real estate projects done over the, the, the business friendly environment of, say, a Republican city or town? So um, I think that uh, private property rights are something that our country was founded upon. And I think that the, the property, the real property that I own, I should... Uh, unless I'm doing something that greatly and adversely affects your property that's either adjacent or co-located, um, I should have absolute authority on what I do on that property. And uh, we've gotten away from that some. I think that we've gotten into the place where, um, and this is going to offend some folks that may listen to it, but I'll say it anyways. Some of the large, large companies in, a, in, in our country have formed coalitions with government entities and created a monopolistic effect and that monopolistic effect, according to our Tennessee constitution and, and the U S constitution um, is not healthy for a free people. And, and so those 
those relationships can become too close. And then we saw in the pandemic, aside from the real estate part of it, we saw this uh, with, I think, with Big Pharma, is that we and other big businesses, the big corporations, these global corporations become an enforcement arm for government policy. And so it's like a pseudo martial law. So you have a, a monopoly-like behavior that, that's, that develops. And then you have this, while there aren't people carrying rifles around, there are people telling you you can't enter their stores without this or that. You can't go outside your home without a mask and all those kinds of crazy things we did. And, and these were encouraged by corporate America. So to the real estate part of that, um, I, I think that we often do things, even in our great state of Tennessee, that we overextend the taxpayer's responsibility, the citizen's responsibility to promote development. And um, that's not healthy. Uh, it's not healthy for the individual rights. And I don't think it's economically healthy for a long term because it, it, it develops an entitledness, an entitled um, type behavior with some of those large developers that I don't think that's, uh, that's sustainable. Yeah, armed with a, a, a briefcase, a eminent domain, and some money, it's pretty dangerous. You don't need guns. But uh, on that note, there have been a slew of property tax hikes around Tennessee from 5 to 50% in some cases like Rutherford County. Uh, makes it awfully hard for second or third generation Tennesseans to own their birth homes or farms. You're a native Tennessean. Uh, I know it makes it hard for police officers on their salaries to live in places like Nashville and Franklin, where I am, where they serve and protect. Uh, would you be in favor of a, a California-type Prop 13 cap on property taxes? And for those, unlike me, from there, it was a restricted rate of increase on assessments of no greater than 2% each year and a limit on property taxes to 1% of the assessed value. I'll say it saved the state for 50 years from crazy taxes, and, and they just declared war on it and repealed it. So there's bound to be a lot more refugees coming from places like that uh, heading here. 80,000 arrived last year, a record for Tennessee, including me. Would you like to see a cap on property taxes? I, I have some ideas on property taxes. I, I, will, I will have to tell you, I, I would have difficulty following anything that California has done in the last 50 to 75 years uh, because none of it. And um, it so to pattern something they've done is problematic for me. I, I will say that um, we're going to have to do things to help uh, first our farmer, our agriculture and forestry is a huge part of Tennessee. And, and as soon as you start to pour concrete and lay uh, pipelines, uh, sewage lines or whatever across a tract of farmland, you won't have cows or or corn on it anymore. And so we have to think about how we're going to, uh, to help these third, fourth, fifth generation farmers be able to keep uh, their farmland. And, and I, I think the problem you described, we're going to get to live through that soon. I think that we have had, when I was a young man growing up here, we had lots of people go to Michigan or Ohio and work at a UAW plan or something, make good money, get a retirement back to Tennessee and retire on the lake. We may still have some of that today, but we have political economic and liberty refugees that are fleeing to our states in the Southeast from California and Washington and other, other places. And that's good. It's great that we're a free, low tax place, business friendly place for folks to be able to move to, but we're 
we're dancing to a tune that we're going to have to pay for. You know, the old adage that if you're going to dance at some point in time, you've got to pay the fiddler. So all of the, the movement of folks into the area, we are exceeding all our capacities. We're, we're trying to address the roads. Uh, we're going to exceed the capacities of our schools. We have already exceeded the capacity to generate electricity. So we, the cradle of nuclear energy, I spent most of my working career in, in, in nuclear work, but in the cradle of nuclear energy for the world, uh, we can't produce enough electricity in Tennessee to sustain ourselves. We're a net importer of kilowatts in Tennessee. And so we, one of the resolutions I ran this spring, it passed the House, we'll run it through the Senate, hopefully they'll run it through the Senate this, this next spring, is to develop a Tennessee energy policy because certainly the people in D.C. have proven themselves uh, uh, unable to effectively manage our, our energy problems. Um, but we have exceeded capacity in all those, those core infrastructures. You know, infrastructure has to be reliable, affordable, and responsive. Those are the three characteristics of, of an infrastructure. And so we're, we're a little short on that responsiveness now because we're having to buy power. So before Christmas last year, we saw that. We had rolling brownouts, first time ever in the state of Tennessee. Um, we have the same capacity issues with our ability for solid waste, for uh, hospitals, for police, and those all have a cost. And that cost is even going to be increased dollars going at them. And those dollars that we have today are much less potent than they were three years ago. You know, they've been hit by 20 or 30% reduction in, in buying power. And um, so we're either going to have to throw more dollars at it, which would mean raising taxes. I'm never going to be in favor of raising taxes locally or in the state or in the, the United States because we can't tax ourselves back into prosperity. Right. What we're going to have to do, the cost is going to be to endure some of the inconveniences that come from this growth until we can fund without incre increasing taxes. And that's a greatly unpopular statement to make, but I think it's absolutely true. Um, if, if we follow suit with what some of those counties in Tennessee have done across the state, um, we're going to find ourselves deeper and deeper in a hole. Yeah. We can't allow that to happen. And the TVA has to stop the woke and masking and actually generate power, which they're supposed to do. I guess that goes along with corporate welfare what used to be called patronage. How do you feel about Ford and Facebook and all the hospitals in Tennessee getting huge tax breaks like in and out in the NFL? Yeah. So um, we did some things that, it, uh, that we've done some things over the past few years that I've been opposed to. And it's part of the reason I ran for office. Uh, I think, you know, I love football, but we shouldn't send $500 million of taxpayer money in form of a bond to help the Titans cover their stadium. I just think that's a bad investment. Doesn't matter if Davidson County, Metro Nashville re receive lots of revenue from that. It's not the responsibility of government to invest in private companies. And um, Ford, I have a new F-250 sitting in my driveway and I like it. I have no desire to drive an electric car because I don't think being a net importer of kilowatts here in Tennessee, we can even charge them. Uh, that's a bit ironic to me, um, but uh if it promotes jobs in, in West Tennessee, Tennessee, those are a good, that's a good thing. But bringing in a UAW culture into West Tennessee is not a good thing. Uh, bringing in some of the, what has been the Ford culture. Again, I have a new Ford truck. I, I invested close to $60,000 in Ford to be able to drive it. But um, 
it, that that's not a culture that aligns with our Tennessee values. And so to, to put tax dollars from Tennessee citizens to help fund that, I question if the full return on investment is going to be favorable. Okay. And according to my dear friends at the Tennessee Lookout, they love me. From January 1, 2023 to June 30th, 2023, groups spent a combined $35 million on lobbying activity, according to filings released by Tennessee Registry of Election Finance earlier this week. $4 million more than groups spent during the same period in 2022. Tennessee Medical Association led the filing period, having spent around $333,322. The Tennessee Hospital Association and the Tennessee Healthcare Association were all the top five. What do you make of the relationship between lobbyists in Capitol Hill and y'all legislators elected by the folks? So this is where I'll get myself in trouble on your podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and speak freely because I decided to do that when I decided to run. First, one of the things I decided, it's expensive to run for office, okay? Um I, I was blessed to be in a place where I didn't have to take PAC money to run, and I don't. It's not that I think all PAC money is dirty, because I think I send dollars to lots of those organizations, some of which you just read, that have political action committees, and, and they use dollars and donations to help influence politicians. Um, so I'm not opposed to the concept, but I didn't really know who to trust on the front end of it. So I stayed away from that. I've definitely learned some things. You mentioned a couple groups. Uh, we need hospitals and I love our nurses and most of the doctors and the healthcare people that uh, we need that. It's a critical infrastructure, but I've got to tell you, brother, when I met with many of those groups, the hospital associations and the medical associations, I thought we might talk about things like bed capacity and how we're going to, treat illnesses in a, in a more efficient manner. And they wanted to talk primarily about one thing, abortion. And so um, I, I, I've said this in many groups. I'll say it again. Uh, those people that want to just murder as many babies as they can in their mama's belts, those people that have decided it's okay to do top and bottom surgery, and I'm ashamed that we can even define such in today's America. Those people that think it's okay to do that, they've lost any moral standing to be able to serve in public office, in my opinion. Amen. But most of those people are Democrats. And I think that, um, again, uh, God's grace is sufficient to save anyone who will repent, turn to him. But I've got to tell you, those people that want to murder babies in their mama's bellies and convert our little boys into little girls and all the other godless things they want to do, not only have they lost the moral right to serve in office, in my humble opinion, they're probably going to split hell wide open if they don't repent and get saved. And so when I meet with those folks, back to your question, and they only want to talk about abortion, um, it, it blew my mind that I couldn't get away from that topic. Um, and you said most are Democrats, which implies that not all are Democrats. So it isn't necessarily a party issue 100%. And that's a problem, too. Well, in the national level, even some of the, the folks that are running for president that I, I you know, I, I like are saying that we have to kind of blend that issue a little bit. I like where we're at in Tennessee on the abortion laws. It's life of the mother. It's a couple conditions. And, and I think that's as it should be. And um, we will fight that fight again starting in January. I can promise there's a lot of money behind that. I don't know how much, 
because after a few meetings with me, I don't think they'll want to meet with me anymore. Um, but those associations, some of the ones you mentioned, there's something either lucrative or perverted in their thought processes that they're going to drive right back to that topic. They're going to push to incrementally bring abortions back in the state of Tennessee. And I'm going to fight with everything that's in me. Keep that from happening. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about process up there. Not many people pay much attention if uh, the voter returns and registrations are any indication, but also not many seem to have read the Tennessee constitution. Uh, the rules are pretty clear. And way back in Thomas Jefferson's day, he said the Tennessee Constitution was the best of them all for being the most Republican, okay? You've said Tennessee and the U.S. Constitution really don't seem to matter to these lifelong political actors. What in the next session do we need to be on the lookout for to make sure they don't infringe on our rights? What do you want to look out for? Uh Boy, that's a, that's a that's a big question, and and I think Jefferson's quote was least imperfect, right? You know, because he was this eloquent, and, and rather than most perfect, he's at least imperfect. Yeah. And Benjamin um, Franklin said, "A republic, if you can keep it." And you said just a minute ago, they're not acting like they want to keep it. No, they don't want to keep it. They want a democracy. They want whoever screams loudest and and the anarchy that follows that. So I think I'm, I, I think I'll start to answer that question and say this. It's going to be important for the citizens of Tennessee that love the freedom that has blessed them. The prosperity that we have in Tennessee is resultant from the liberty that we've enjoyed, I think. And that liberty includes low tax rates because any, any tax increase is an encroachment upon your liberties. And I, I think most people don't look at it that way. We have to start viewing it that way. And I think the citizens, I think the folks in the churches, the folks in the restaurants, the folks that are working a third shift at a hospital, need to stay more engaged and demand and hold a solid expectation for their politician at every level from from school board to county commission to state rep to governor that it's the constitution stupid you know as we said back in 92 it was the economy stupid well i really think that there's it's apropos to use that that phrase or, or misuse that phrase now it's the constitution stupid we must keep those boundaries on governmental authority or this is going to get out of control quickly. And those folks who have not invested time in looking at the Constitution on a daily basis or weekly basis and, and considering legislation and how it bounces off of our Tennessee Constitution and U.S. Constitution must start doing so. Yeah, and you can't have room to breathe and be free to be a volunteer when you're under a tyranny, right? So that's the people forget. I love the UTK football team but do they know what a volunteer really has to be and that's somebody who believes that liberty is giving them the space to be active and take care of things and so i'm hoping that voter turnout will increase um what are some of your priorities for district 42 in tennessee uh next session in april january through april district 32 and, ah, and sorry 32 so life is going to be one of those it's going to have to maintain a priority and i won't rehash all that but we're going to be on a continued assault for that. I think um, maintaining conditions and improving conditions where families can succeed. Uh, you know, I, I got a little criticism today about the three-month uh, grocery tax. Why did the state do that? And this was coming from someone who has enjoyed a good living and the 9% tax doesn't affect this person, right? Um, but we have working people across this state, working poor people across this state that get up and go to work. 
they go to work in that nursing home or what few textile factories we might have in the state, if any now, and they go earn a small salary, but they have honor and integrity and they work for it. And so when, when we can reduce the taxation burden on those folks, it's a good thing. Back to your question about the, the uh, property tax. I do think there's some things that we're going to have to do in the state because um, I think most of the revenue that we're going to see increase in the next couple of years is going to be an adjustment based on property value. Because so many people have moved in, we have inflated or perhaps even hyperinflated the real estate values in the state of Tennessee. So that's going to increase the revenue that comes from most of the, to the counties into the state. But we really need to be thinking about, do you ever really own your property? If you have, I know people who have property tax bills of $20,000 a year. And, and add that to insurance. It's, it's, it's expensive. And, and they make a good living. These folks do, but that's still a lot of money. Um, other priorities I, I, I do, um, we hear the left talk about mass shootings and they use that uh, dishonest phrase of gun violence of which there is no thing. There are such things. Um, there are evil people that commit violence and some of them use guns. Many of them use guns, but um, we're going to need to, if we're going to have a serious discussion about making Tennessee safer, this whole special session caveat of public safety, 94% of mass shootings uh, in the last 50 years, occurred in gun, gun-free zones. If you go back to 1998 to today, that's 96.2%, according to crimeresearch.org. So you can say 95% of the mass shootings, mass killings, occur in gun-free zones. If we were serious about reducing that, we would reduce those, those gun-free zones. And I, I intend to carry some legislation to try to do that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's crazy that you have to take your, you have to put your gun in your car to go to Nordstrom's because they have gun free zone. And then we have this unbelievable amount of crime from stolen guns from cars. It makes sense, right? That's what's going to happen. Cause and effect. And do you, well, do you the, think that the, oh, the Democrats, the Democrats then want to, and maybe a couple of Republicans, uh, but, but all the Democrats, they want to find you or jail you if your pistol is stolen from your car if you didn't have it secured to their satisfaction by installing a safe. And uh, to me, that's akin to saying to a chicken farmer, we're going to put you in jail because you didn't have enough hatches or latches on your, your chicken coop and the chicken thief stole three chickens from it's, it's the same type of absurdity. Uh, Last definitely going to lead to Nordstrom's.com doing a lot more business than Nordstrom's the mall. Probably, probably. Uh, uh, Last thing I'll offer you on priorities is this, and this may seem a little bit uh, off. I spent a few days on the Texas border. I got the opportunity uh, back in July with several other representatives. I wanted to see with my eyes, is it as bad as what the media reports? And I can assure you, based on what I heard, if those Texans were honest, it's much worse. Um, so I, we can't go build the wall in Texas and Arizona. We Tennessee representatives can't. But I do think that we can legislatively harden our state to deter some of the criminal activity that is already here and more that is coming our way. An example would be that if you are an illegal alien criminally in these United States and you are in possession of a deadly weapon, which is already defined in Tennessee code, we should enhance your penalty to life in prison. Furthermore, If you're an illegal alien and you come into the great state of Tennessee and you commit a violent crime, which is already defined in code, we should enhance your penalty. And I I think that's going to reduce 
some deter some of the crime that's come this way. It's, it's not going to fix it all. Uh, but I do think we have to start taking those types of approaches. Uh, simply doing a, uh, a survey of human trafficking is not going to address for a state this, this crisis that we have at the southern border. Uh, we had a retired Customs and Border Patrol sector chief. So he, he was a direct report to a presidential uh, appointee. Uh, tell us things like homes 10, 15, 20, 75 miles inside Texas were abandoned because the cartels would come across, knock on the door, say, we like your place. You've got 15 minutes to get out. They told us that was happening in Texas. Now, were they making that up? I, you know, I, I get all kinds of responses when I share that story, but I don't see that those folks, those Texans that told us this, had any reason to lie. And and their caution was they live in a lawless environment. Be careful it's coming your way. Terrible. All right. I only got a few minutes left with you, but I wanted to definitely, since I have you in person, um, and I I I am in the media. We do have to call podcast media now, at least my liability insurance tells me so. But I'm grateful for you and Senator Paul Bailey. Uh, you sponsored a pair of bills that would prohibit social media platforms from censoring Tennessee residents. House Bill 1504 and Senate Bill 1299 also required these platforms to publicly disclose how they manage data and content, including how they moderate content and how their algorithms work with regard to searches and rankings. Are you going to? Are we going to see that content moderation info soon? I would, I would hope so. We had several things um, that we tried to do along those lines, and it gets into the this global mega company being able to control your individual rights. Um, I, I have another bill that I filed this year that, again, I we ran about nine of the bills that I filed. I pulled a couple back to try to gain goodwill amongst my peer group to get them passed. Uh, where we had social media platforms certainly uh, limiting free speech, not being in full disclosure uh, about what their rules are, and even holding money. We, uh, the bill that I have on the table now, if you will, addresses online payment processes like PayPal or Venmo. Uh, in our district, we had, in my district, I had a small company that makes wooden flags, much like the one behind you, Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know that they made that one, but um, they make flags really close to that. It is. James Stocky, your AmericanFlagStore.com. Yes. Well, that's who I'm talking about. James Stocky. She made it. Yep. Ginger. Yep. yep. Ginger did the graphics for it. So um, they held $110,000 of their money. So a, a purchaser, a buyer would, would order one of James' flags and they would send the money in to PayPal and PayPal had held up to, again, at one point in time, $110,000. And uh, he couldn't get any straight answers. I have since met with all the lobby groups from K Street and PayPal. And uh, that bill is going to be ran uh, this year. We're, right. we're, we're, we've modified a little bit to take some concerns out. We had some people concerned that my language was going to expose elderly folks to fraud. And so I think we've determined a way to, to edit those things out and just address this specific problem. 
Yeah, he was one of my first guests. And then I had he and his family, including Max, who created the company on to talk exactly about that. So I'm going to run out of time, but I just want to jam through these last two ones that are really important to me. Um, I can't believe this one's even necessary, but in 2023, so I guess here we are, HB 0727 would make it mandatory for schools to obtain parental consent before students are allowed to participate in sex education classes or surveys. Okay, that's good. Pass the House Education Administration Committee during a voice vote. So two question, how is enforcement going on that one? And is it true that voice vote system is pretty easily messed with? And if it's a close vote, they just pick whatever Cameron Sexton wanted up there. Yeah, um, I, you know, I've heard people say that I haven't had Cameron try to influence me one way or the other. I mean, bills that he's running, but I haven't, I haven't felt some of the pressure maybe that, that, that other people talk about. But um, I think that's working. I did get some pushback from some groups on that bill. We ran a, a, my version of a bill. That bill is actually a bill that I adopted from Representative Halsey up in Northeast Tennessee. And um, this all started as a... I saw a couple pieces of paper come from school systems in Nashville that's in the very fine print. It said, if you don't sign this and send it back, we're going to assume we have your permission. Well, that's backwards. And so that was the genesis for starting this whole move to try to get parental opt-in required. There are a few exceptions that we left in that, but very few. And it specifically calls out transgender discussions. It specifically calls out surveys, analyses, and evaluations outside curriculum. Um, I hope our schools are following this across the state. Um, hope is a, a probably a mild word for an answer. Um, most of the pushback I got were from organizations that were benefiting from just having the right to come on in, and they hated this bill. But I think God gives the kid to the parent, not to the school, not to the state. And so the parent ought to have to agree. I like it. Uh, I mentioned Rutherford County earlier. The left likes to call it book banning Nazism. But during their September 18th meeting, which was just two days ago, the board voted to keep two books, Queen Charlotte and Sex is a Funny Word, out of the li keep them in the library. Montana and Texas are kicking out the American Library Association because of their self-identified Marxist lesbian president. That's what she calls herself. In August, four books were banned from Rutherford County Libraries, Flamer, Gender Queer, Let's Talk About It, and This Book is Gay. Tennessee Library Board Chairman Stephen Sullivan noted that all of the books had LGBTQ themes. Tennesseans looking to visit pornographic websites may soon have to show government-issued identification to prove that they are at least 18 years of age. I don't know how that's going to happen on a computer, but it might. If that passes next session, what are you and your Republican friends doing about all that stuff? And can we leave the ALA too, the American Library Association? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I don't know the status on us being a part of the ALA, to be honest with you. So before I say, yes, we should get out, I'm not sure we're a part of it. I'm not positive of that. Uh, we did have legislation we passed this year that makes it a classy felony, felony to knowingly introduce pornographic and obscene materials into the school systems. And that includes the book manufacturers. And I, I really think that's part of what we have to go after. Um, do we have folks in our school systems that may be introducing obscene and inappropriate, vulgar material into the systems? I'm sure we do. Somewhere in 7 million folks in the state of Tennessee. Uh, but I do think that that 
making it a fe chargeable felony uh, for those book manufacturers that send that kind of content into the state of Tennessee is tremendously important. I'm, I'm hoping we, we may see soon uh, just how well that's going to be approached. Because I know we've had some issues across the state. And um, I'm hoping that our directors of schools and our attorney generals, if if it falls after that law, I'm hoping there's a, at least a call and a start of an investigation to that that book publisher, because I think that will pretty much put the brakes on them sending those books into the state. I think it will. Okay. All right. only, Last one. I think, the, I think the only thing that those some of those groups care about more than perverting our children is a dollar. Yeah. All right. Last one. I'm in overtime, but I have to do it. You, I'm going to quote you to yourself. Written on the foundation that God gave the children to the parents, not the state of Tennessee, and it is the parents' incumbent responsibility to play an active role in that education. The Tennessee House approved your bill, HB 0727. So let me say to your face, thank you for that bill. And are they trying to water it down or is that going to be set in stone for a long time? Well, I, I don't think we'll try to water it down. I don't think so. And the credit really goes to Representative John Reagan and Representative Bud Holsey because they probably were the ones that nudged me into this. And I think they both realized that I kind of like arguing with the left, so they, they let me carry that. I'll okay. give the credit. If there's anything wrong with it, it's probably my fault. If there's anything good about it, it goes to Reagan and Holsey. What a gentleman. Okay. Um, and TCAP scores in Tennessee were pretty bad, Congressman. And Cameron Sexton wants to give back Fed funds for education so they could get DC off our backs. But we'd still need to spend money on public schools. And we just talked about property taxes in a state without income tax. That's really the only other place to go. Um, and another deferred action in the House was the House Education Administration Committee deferred action for what looks to be the fifth time on a bill that would expand the eligibility criteria for Tennessee's education savings accounts pilot program. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it exists. What are the odds of that getting passed in the next session? And then I got to let you go. I don't know about the odds. I, I'll, I'll tell you what my position is on it. The dollar should follow the child. Just as God did give that uh, child to the parent, the taxes that that parent pays up to what it costs for, um, or, or the cost for education and even non-public schools, uh, up to what it, that 9,000 ish dollar average ought to go back to the parents to send the kids to where they want them to go to school. And, and I think competition's healthy. We do that in a couple places around the state. Now I'd like to see us expand that. I'd like to see us get to the point where the parents are more engaged. Um, quite honestly, um, many of our, our educators in our public schools and our private schools, but I've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks in public schools for different reasons. Uh, they are doing uh, really the Lord's work in trying to care for kids that um, aren't being cared for, perhaps even at home. And um, the whole DCS thing uh, and the need for a DCS in the state, the, the deeper you dig into that, the more it breaks your heart. And I think part, probably part of the reason that many of our kids aren't reading at third or eighth grade level is because sometimes our, our educators are having to worry about, is that child going home hungry or not? Or has that child been abused at home? I think it's a much broader problem than what, certainly than what I realized, uh, because I had not been, experienced that. And being in this political arena has really opened my eyes to some of the challenges in our school system today. I do think a competitive would be helpful for that. Um, and I think certainly the parents ought to get to decide, but it's going to require parental opt-in. Back to my bill that you give me 
uh, credit for. Um, I would offer this. Some of the pushback I, I really got was from some parent-type groups that didn't really want to have to engage on those type things. They wanted just being automatic. And uh, we, we have to shift that in our culture. Um, and we've got some room to improve that, I think. Awesome. All right. Well, Representative Fritz, I was right. I was looking forward to you being the guy with the info and you absolutely were. So thank you for your time. We are at the end. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and follow you on social media uh, or, or anything else you want the folks to know. Uh, Fritz for 1032 is a good place to find things. Uh, Facebook, I'm heavy on Facebook. I do a little bit of stuff on, on Twitter at, at uh Fritz for 1032 is a good way to find me. Uh, you can Google just Monty Fritz and, and, uh, and you'll find some information on me, but I appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, uh, helping get the message out. Yeah. I hope to have you on again sometime soon. Thank you. Yes, sir. Have a good night. If you're like me and sick of the woke, unfunny content coming out of Hollywood these days and looking for something new and exciting, I found the website for you, movienight.com. The folks at movienight.com, that's movienight, one word, .com, has the first universal loyalty program that offers businesses like yours the opportunity to attract customers with their exclusive lineup of world-class titles. Titles like Daddy Daughter Trip with Rob Schneider, Triumph with Terrence Howard, and Nefarious, last year's blockbuster hit. Movie Night was founded to positively impact society through media. Check it out at movienight.com and enjoy the show. I don't What do you think of what we just heard from Representative Monty Fritz? Love the guy. I mean, you got to multiply that guy by everybody that's in there. I think you'll see Tennessee go back to the way it's supposed to. And he reminds me a lot of uh, Mr. Walsh up here. Jim Walsh uh, in Washington State comes from the east side. Same kind of loves God, loves the Constitution, wants to make things, and has a very good grasp on what's going on. And so... Great interview. I'm so glad you riveted. mentioned represent. I'm so glad you mentioned Representative Walsh because that's exactly right. It, he is the minority behind the Emerald Curtain, whereas we have the majority here in Tennessee of folks like Fritz. Although they don't always behave like it, and we're going to talk about that in a second. So uh, come right back for our, our Let's Go Brandon segment. Hi, I'm Gabrielle Hansen, Alderman at Large in Franklin, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View podcast. And here we are, back from vacation, and who better to hang out with than Brandon Lewis, Brandon X. Lewis, I think it is, he can tell us, in our Let's Go Brandon segment, new month, new segment of the TennesseeConservativeNews.com. Brandon, hello, welcome back, how are you? I am glad to be here, buddy, always good to be with Steve in stereo. I missed you so much, <laughs> I missed the listeners so much, I missed Steve, producer Steve so much, and I was listening to the Big Seven last week, just four days ago, and man, were you complimentary of me. I will put the check in the mail, I promise. 
Well, we will cash it. We will cash it and put it with our meager reserves of uh, conservative money related to media in Tennessee. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think you were listening in to our last segment, but I know you know Monty Fritz very mm-hmm. well. You endorsed him in 2022. This flag behind me was uh, given to me by um, a biz- small business in his district who he's helped eBay took a hundred and ten or PayPal, sorry, took $110,000 out of his bank account because he created a Trump flag back in the old days of, of rank censorship, which I know, you know, all about, uh, what are your thoughts on Monty Fritz? Um, and is he a rhino or no? So far he has been, uh, one of the crop of freshman representatives in the Tennessee house that has really, um, been a breath of fresh air you've got him brian ritchie and a few others and essentially uh, they were sent up there with a mandate from gop primary voters to actually do the will of the people instead of the left-leaning corporations and it is my understanding uh from a few conversations i've had with mr fritz that in the upcoming session he's going to be pushing some legislation that hopefully uh will safeguard our constitutional rights so that uh, the executive branch uh, can't bulldoze the legislative branch. Now, that can only be done if they're willing, and they were very willing, and they remain very willing, but this uh, hopefully will put some uh, bumps in the road and curtail what can be done in the future to protect Tennesseans. Yeah, he did talk about that. You're absolutely right. Um, so you have this thing called the Rhino Report that's published by TennesseeConservativeNews.com, and the question is, would he be on your rhino report as a good guy or a bad guy or what what do you say about him on that report and where can people go get that report well they can go to rhinoreport.net it's spelled r-i-n-o that's for republican in name only the h is silent because it stands for honesty so rhinoreport.net uh and monty is uh you know he was on a few committees but as a freshman sometimes your first your first session up there you it is rare for a freshman uh, to just come out of the the gate swinging. It's probably politically wise to to see what the lay of the land is. But fortunately, uh, I think Monty has been following politics enough, and he has been working uh, on some legislation that hopefully will come through. It is my uh, opinion and my hope uh, that we may be able to put uh, Monty in the Rhino Report underneath the conservative win column of uh, votes that go through the next uh, gathering of all of our uh, all of our representative critters up there in Nashville. That's great. All right. Well, what are your thoughts on Bill's Bill Lee's special ed session and impact to Tennessee's future? Not until January. That's when they come back into session. So what do you think of that special ed session? We just endured. I think it was a tremendous win for the Democrats and the left-leaning media, but I repeat myself. It's excellent. It was just fantastic for Democrats and for left-leaning politicians. But the rhinos, um, they'd already embarrassed themselves by going against the will of their constituents. Um, They further humiliated themselves, especially uh, folks like Jeremy Faison and Cameron Sexton and a few others, William Lambert up in uh, Nashville by picking a fight with the more conservative uh, chamber, at least for this particular gathering in the Senate. And um, nothing of any substance happened, but what the Democrats and the left-leaning media had was exactly what they wanted, and that was about a two-week period uh, with a two-month uh, wind-up to excoriate 
Republicans in Tennessee uh, to make us look like a bunch of uh, Hicks, racists, and hayseeds, and to do it on national and state media. And the Republicans said, that sounds great. Let's do that. And Bill Lee's like, I think I'll throw all Republicans in the state of Tennessee under the bus by putting them in this uh, politically impossible situation. And if it, it was really only the uh, the zest and zeal of the rhino boot lickers up in uh, up in leadership that kept this thing going at all, if they had had not wanted to do the bidding of their corporate overlord, this thing would have been gaveled in and just about gaveled out. And so, if any anybody wished that it lasted a little uh, less long, you know who to to thank, and that is the leadership in the Tennessee House. And I think you just nailed the other two H's in Rhino, Hayseed and Hicks. That was pretty funny. Um, low vo voter turnout. <laughs> oh, thank you, Steve. Thank yes. you. I'm here all, all Z week. Uh, low voter turnout. Nashville's mayor uh, race last week is an example. Uh, Trey Haggart claims Tennessee don't have votes because they like how things are going. I guess that means that they don't vote because they like how things are going. Tennessee, number one in disenfranchised black voters. There are two, well, let's see. In Nashville is the governor and legislature. In Knoxville is the Supreme Court. And the fourth pillar of government is right there where you are in Chattanooga. Chattanooga group urges voters to register. Chattanooga groups urge voters to register. Uh, is he is he right? What's up with the, and disenfranchisement, apathy, and voter I don't think we have disenfranchisement. Anybody that wants to go vote can. It's not very hard or difficult. Um, I'm of the opinion that low voter turnout is a great thing. Personally, that is just my personal opinion. The lower the voter turnout, the better. If you are so apathetic and lazy, and if you say, "Well, I didn't know when the election was," I mean, they, they have these things that pop up before the election. They're called yard signs. They are everywhere. They are in people's yards. They're on the side of the street. There are thousands and hundreds of them. About the time you start seeing those pop up, this is just you know closed circuit transmission to those of you who, who are disenfranchised and can't get to the polls. When you see those things, those are not flowers. Those are not advertisements for home service companies. Those are political signs. And that means that voting is near. And if you just type in, when do I vote in Tennessee on your computer or your smartphone, It'll give you all the instructions you need, and so low voter turnout, in my opinion, is a fantastic thing. I don't think that people that don't keep up need to be uh, voting uh, in our state and local elections, and it makes it easier for real conservatives to unseat rhinos when the voter turnout is lower because a smaller budget goes further. And so more I'm educated not really... voter, more educated voter, will be more apt to vote correctly. Let's just say correctly, and yeah, and why conservative academy is more important now than ever. Shameless plug for you. Tell us about that. Well, by the time your listeners uh, hear this, it, it will be all be open, over. The Conservative Candidates Academy will be not tomorrow, but the next day, Saturday the 23rd. Uh, we've got about 35 candidates uh, that are going to be there, so that's pretty good. Very good. Um, we have closed registration already. However, the course will be made available uh, for folks that want to run for office in perpetuity, uh, or at least until we do another one. Uh, I don't know which of those two will happen first, uh, but we're going to go ahead and put that thing up. We're going to box it up and kit it up uh, just like I do with what I do at the Painters Academy so that when somebody sends me an email or a text message and says, Brandon, I'm thinking about running for office. Can I talk to you? I'm like, yes, go through this day-long course first, and then I'll get on the phone with you because without that, it just turns into a bunch of meandering over the phone. It's really not very productive. And so... 
I think if you're a conservative and you want to get involved in local government, it is a great time to do it uh, for two reasons. One, as you mentioned, Steve, voter turnout is low, which is a good thing. It means that if you've got a smaller budget, you can you can reach the, the likely voters, what we call three of four and four of four voters. Those are people that voted in three of the last four and four of the last four uh, elections that are similar to the one you're running in. And the second thing is you're lucky because uh, – most Republicans uh, that are in the legislature right now, e either on the Senate or the House, I'd have terrible records. Um, most of them have voted to increase the size of government like by 10 to 20 percent multiple times. Most of them voted to give illegal aliens professional licenses. Most of them voted for the wildly unpopular corporate welfare. Their educational record's awful, and your kids can't read or write, and the list goes on. And so I think that there are uh, many, many uh, opportunities for real conservatives that want to run for office uh, against established incumbents with really bad either performance, voting records, or both. So then, Trey Hargett, uh, do you think he's full of it when he says Tennessee's Tennesseans don't vote because they like how things are, or do you think he's probably out of touch? Yeah, that's just that's just the kind of thing that a politician would say. I mean, that's. Because if you, I mean, because the 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 connotation is the voting right, voter, voter turnout is low. Therefore, there is something wrong with Tennesseans, or or Tennessee in general. Which I would say, you know, we are uh, even conservatives. You know, everybody wants to turn out for the presidential election and the federal races, and everybody keeps up with the horse race up in Washington. Meanwhile, their you know their liberties and rights are being eroded in Nashville. It's a, it's always sleight of hand, and they always point. Uh, to the Democrats up in Washington because they can get everybody riled up and throw a bunch of red meat out either on social media or in a crowd. And meanwhile, they're up there doing things that are just about as bad as the Democrats and often in the same direction, and they're taking money from the same people in Tennessee. So I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to know um, you know exactly what all uh, goes into making people so politically apathetic. Um, but state and local. Uh, politics is not very sexy. It's harder to keep up with. The characters are unknown. But for every dime and for every moment that you spend in state and local, you get a higher return on investment by far than anything you can do at the national level. Yeah. And in Washington State, where I'm from, they'll put a stamp on it for you for free. Taxpayers paid for that, and they still won't turn it in, which is probably a good thing because they'll end up stealing it and changing your vote without your knowledge. But Back to Chattanooga, Kevin West, longtime Chattanooga radio personality and spokesperson for the Chattanooga Police Department, died. Uh, what are your thoughts on him, his career, his impact to Chattanooga? Kevin was a very nice man, uh, very kind. He had to uh, deliver the news, and often, at least for several years, in Tennessee, or not Tennessee, in Chattanooga, the WGOW, AM and FM, broke a lot of news stories because they had callers. Callers would call in and say, hey, did you know about this? They'd pick up tips. They'd pick up leads. They were well-connected. Um, and I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, he was probably slightly left of center, but not much. But he was very fair. He was a great person. Um, him and Robert T. Nash, uh, when I was getting my painting business off the ground, my construction business, um, they were instrumental in helping me in the middle of the recession in 2008. I will tell you my, my favorite story about Kevin West. He came to my wedding when my wife and I got married and we, we had these fake candles. Okay. And they, they lined the walkway where the bride 
goes up and my beautiful bride starts walking up there and she's got these this huge train behind her dress and she starts walking up the steps and they don't know they're fake candles they look very real and her dress starts to go over the candles and him and robert t nash stand up and they're looking <laughs> and they're they're ready to go you know to go save my wife to keep to keep this whole event from turning into a flaming inferno and luckily, I think one of the bridesmaids or something goes, they're fake. She goes, they're okay. Because they look very real. And he thought there was about to be like a, you know, a fire event. And he also had a, a great career, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I don't say this wrong, in the Na Naval Reserves um, and and moved up in that organization quite high in, in Tennessee. And he was just, a, he was just a good person. And he wasn't very, he wasn't very old. And so uh, he's probably about 10, well, probably about 15 years older than I am. And so it was really, it was sad. It was sad, sad to hear that. It just goes to show you, I mean, uh, you make the most of the time you have here because we, we do not know the day and we do not know the hour, but our, our prayers are with his family and his beautiful wife. And he's got a great, um, great son um, that is, I know what it's like to lose a dad. I lost mine at, at 18. And it uh, doesn't really matter when you lose them at 18 or 80. It's, it's something that impacts you and you, you never really get over it. Yeah, I lost mine at six, so I know what you're talking about. Um, happier note, maybe. We'll see. Right next door to you there in Knox County, we got Gloria Johnson, one of the Tennessee 3.0 JJJs, running against Marsha Blackburn. Does she have a chance in hell? No. Uh, I think in the last two elections that we have had statewide, were, and I'm not looking at the governor's race because people don't pay as much attention, but uh, both the Senate, I think the Senate race was something like Haggerty, 65, some other dude, 30. And I think in the presidential race, it was like Trump, 61, Biden, 34, 35, something like that. So there's like a 25 to 27 to 30 point spread. Or you, you can be as magical as, as you want. Uh, and, and you can wear your moo moo of power or whatever magic thing that you want to do to try to get people to vote for you. Uh, you can buy the, the, the nicest rascal and scoot around all over the state of Tennessee <laughs> and it will not make any difference because you're not going to move 30%. I got to laugh because like, like, you're so awesome, Gloria. When she made her announcement and she said she, oh, Marsha Blackburn only won by 10%, I had to crack up because that is a landslide by any definition in any political atlas you're well, going to read. Didn't, she didn't just win by 10%. Like she won by, like, well, I mean, maybe in her initial race. And of course, these, the, the cycles are longer. Yeah. Um, Six but years. like if you look at, you look at the, just the D and the R, right? And it, like, for example, uh, two days from now, I'm going to be standing in front of an audience of potential candidates. And, and one of the, the questions as I go through my general strategy presentation is you need to know how many three or four voters and four or four voters that are in your district, in this case for Gloria, it's the state of Tennessee. And you need to know how big the the spread is. And is it even like worth messing with? And the answer for Gloria is, is yes and no. Practically, the answer is no. Politically, now let me get into this. Politically, this is wise. It's wise. You take someone uh, who is a darling of the left in this state uh, who wants to continue growing that urban base of rabid Democrats. Okay, this is kind of like the Atlanta, Georgia playbook. 
and you push them out there and you build their name ID up. You, you, you create this wonderful fundraising platform. You, you put a, uh, a finance chairman and a uh, get out the vote and a political chairman and grassroots people in 95 counties all over the state. And now you've got this wonderful mechanism uh, that lets you be politically influential for the other people. So, I mean, I think it's great for her and it's probably pretty good for the Democrats, but I don't think there's practically any chance that she will get anywhere. All right. Last question. And then I'll let you go until Halloween month. Tennessee starts fiscal year $39.4 million below budgeted tax collection estimate. How is that possible, Brandon, with toll roads, lottery, corporate welfare, sales tax, all the things you harp on? How can we start below budget? Well, I think that we had we had some sales tax holidays um, that, that kind of went through both business tax and a grocery tax. But it would not surprise me, and I've not dug into this, so I'm kind of speaking speaking out of hand here. Uh, it would not surprise me that the revenues are down because Tennessee business revenues are down, because the, we're everybody's everybody's earning power is worth about fifteen to twenty percent less than it was two years ago. And so, when people have less money and businesses have less money, they spend less, less money. And so it would not surprise me if all of this is not simply driven uh, by the inflationary economy uh, in, in our state. But I, I'd have to dig into the numbers and the details to, to speak more intelligently to that. Well, that'll maybe that'll delay our choice lanes and our NFL expansion of the stadium. We'll see. No, but... no, no wishful thinking, Steve. That, <laughs> that, that money is earmarked for Billy's corporate buddies. Uh, building roads and uh, and and giving people bread and circuses, even though ninety seven percent of Tennesseans will never step in there. Uh, that's you no know, Billy's gonna. If, if it's one thing, if it's a federal or a corporate dollar, hell will freeze freeze over before you see Billy let that go by. Yeah, well, we live in hope, and he'll be gone a year from now. So anyhow, thank you again for coming on with us. We look forward to let's go, Brandon, October edition. Take care, buddy. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. Hi, this is Senator Jack Johnson. You're listening to the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. Welcome back. To my thoughts of the week. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. That's Tennessee, Washington, and now Florida. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and hit the subscribe button and follow us. Be sure to check out our new business show, The CEO Special, where I interview great business folks doing good business. I really hope you like them. Everyone who works in a school plays a vital role in providing an environment where children are empowered with an education that will open doors for their future. 
Tragically, our teachers and school personnel too often find themselves on the front lines of a different kind of battle, fighting for the protection and well-being of our most vulnerable children. Monty Fritz. Every state is a border state. Senator Marsha Blackburn. That's it for this episode. Really hope you liked it. Thank you, Monty Fritz, for keeping Tennessee better than you found it for future generations. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of MCView.us. New edition out today. Peace in our time and G2G. or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.